Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. And a very happy Easter and blessed Passover to all those who are celebrating. Today on Special Edition, we're going to find out about going fishing. Earlier this week, the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission held opening day for trout. Intercom's Jason Barsky talks with Mike Parker, Communications Director for the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission, to find out all about it. Intercom's Rocky and Lissa will be joining us. They'll introduce you to Amy Everett. She is with the Women's Resource Center in Scranton. This quarantine time that we're all in, for many of us, is just annoying. But for others, it can be dangerous. Amy will tell us why. And we'll also hear from Intercom's Doc and Jesse. They caught up with Dr. Jim Gilkey, and he's going to tell us about how to work from home. And as we get started today on Special Edition, we're going to hear from Intercom's Frank Andrews and Mark Davis. It's always best to have the right information when it comes to anything, especially in the situation that we're in. So they reached out to a local doctor who's heading up a team of emergency specialists. Dr. Ron Stroni, the uh, co-chair of emergency medicine for the Geisinger Medical Center. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. I appreciate you having us on. Okay. My first question, your reaction to the governor's decision to put the entire state on a stay-at-home order? Well, we know that um, the the only thing that is helping with this virus globally is containment. Um, we do know that there is no definitive treatment that has been proven to be effective. All we know is that by restricting its transmission, that is what makes the biggest difference in helping contain it. People who had a flu shot, are they? do they get any extra protection? Or people that have had a pneumonia vaccination, do they have any extra protection? 
No, so this is an entirely different new virus, or what we call novel virus, the coronavirus. Uh, the flu protects strictly for strains of influenza, either influenza A or B, and they all have different strains or types of that. Similarly with pneumonia, typically the pneumonia shot only covers certain types of pneumonia, not all. So those shots would not cover this novel or new coronavirus that is circulating globally. What, what about the varying reports about how long this can travel in the air? And do the cloth masks, especially the homemade ones, work? For answer to the first question is that we know that the, the COVID-19 virus or the coronavirus can stay in the air aerosolized for approximately three hours. Um, now, that is in a confined space. If you're out and the wind is blowing, obviously, it's likely less than that. Um, in regards to cloth masks, um, any form of protection that people want to utilize, we would not discourage. However, what people need to know is that by wearing a cloth mask, you are not protecting yourself from contracting the virus. What you All you are doing is protecting others from potentially, if you are infected and don't know it, of spreading that virus from yourself to someone else. Chris is calling from Pittston. I keep hearing that uh, diabetes is an, one of the underlying conditions that... Uh, you need to worry about does that is that type one and type two diabetes and how exactly does diabetes interact with the virus Terrific question, and thanks for asking. Um, first, uh, the, the virus doesn't discriminate between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Um, actually, what we, what we look at with the virus is that anyone who has what we call comorbidities, now that's a fancy medical term to say if you have a chronic medical condition, such as diabetes, chronic heart disease, emphysema, COPD, things like that, those folks are at higher risk uh, if they do contract the virus. So really, it doesn't really discriminate. Now, how it interacts and, and why it does, the, thing it do, the things that it does with people with diabetes and those conditions is purely and simply because the body is already fighting those diseases. And when that virus attacks, it, it runs into an immune system or a body that's already trying to, to treat itself or help itself. And then now it has to try to fight this virus as well. Are you having a problem with your staff? Are a lot of people getting sick that are uh, on the front line, so to speak, with you and your staff? So clearly we know that healthcare providers are at high risk. And yes, we have had some healthcare providers test positive in the region and in the area. Are we having problems at Geisinger with staffing or anything like that? No, we're not. Geisinger, again, has, uh, has extensive mitigation plans, succession plans, and redeployment plans for physicians, um, other staff, uh, ancillary staff, everyone to fill in and do a dual role or um, an alternate role from even what you're trained for. Doc, we have a, a text that came in from a gentleman, but he said that he had tested positive. He was uh, advised by the Pennsylvania Department of Health to self-quarantine for 14 days until his symptoms were gone. His symptoms ended. He stayed quarantined for another seven days. He wants to know if he now goes out in public, is he immune to a, to a second infection? So that's a great question as well, too, and really no one really knows the answer to that yet. There's multiple clinical trials going on looking for antibodies to see, is it, to, to see if you've had the coronavirus, if you are now immune to it, like some other viruses. But like also other viruses, there's some viruses that you can get every year, and we don't know that yet. This, because this is such a new virus, we don't have that answer. We hope to, and I think every healthcare worker in the world uh, hopes that immunity is in place once you do get this 
virus. Social distancing occurs, making sure that our healthcare workers are, are prepared up front, and making sure that society has uh, participates and helps us with this, helps the healthcare worker. Um, what we do know is that if we don't have social distancing, one person in 30 days can infect over 400 people. If we reduce social distancing, or if we, if we practiced social distancing uh, to 75% or less of exposure, that one person will now only infect 2.5 people in 30 days. So you can see the difference in the stay at home or the stay away from people. We just need to contain this virus. Are you seeing that too, that it doesn't discriminate between the old? I know the old may get have a higher mortality rate, but the disease itself can affect all ages, correct? That's correct. It, it can. It uh, And exactly like you said, 25 to 49 is where 40% of the cases that we're seeing. But if you look at the age range from 18 or below, it's less than 3% are getting it. And as well, the age range for hospitalization for 18 and below is actually less than uh, 2%. So really the people, the, the people that are getting it are the age, age range that you described at the biggest population and the, and the further elderly. That is the largest population encompassing approximately 90% uh, or 90% of folks 25 and above. If you're less than 25, the likelihood of you, of you contracting this or even being hospitalized is very low. But we want to make sure that people know it does not mean that you are not at risk. And that is the biggest concern with this is that the people that contract it but don't get hospitalized or only have subacute or what we call minor symptoms can transfer this virus to the extremely vulnerable people like an earlier caller asked about diet, the diabetics and the people with lung disease or heart disease, which is why it's very important that we social distance and that we keep, um, we keep the community in mind and not just ourselves when we're dealing with this. Folks, you're listening to Dr. Ron Stroni. He is the co-chair of emergency medicine for the Geislinger Medicine Institute and director of emergency medicine for Geislinger, Wyoming Valley. Carol is calling from Hanover. Carol? Hi, uh, yes, doctor. Have you had a, uh, any occasion to prescribe the hydroxychloroquine-Zithromax uh, combination to any of the patients you've seen? The hospital has a specific uh, policy in place depending upon severity of illness for hospitalized patients. Um, hydroxychloroquine is on there. However, we all of our healthcare providers that it is not a solution or is not a cure. There has truly been no significant proven benefit to it. Um, this is one of those cases where we are trying, and all healthcare providers across the country are trying whatever they can to try to mitigate the effects of this virus on, on people's health. A couple questions about testing. One is, how is the test administered? Number two is, are we going to have rapid testing at some point in our area? And going along with that, we've had people that have been waiting quite a long time for test results. Why does it take so long? So how, how do you get tested for this? Well, first of all, the test itself is actually what we call a nasopharyngeal swab. So it's a swab that goes in both sides of your nose all the way to the back. It's not very comfortable. I'll be honest with that. Um, and it has to be kind of swirled around there for a couple seconds to collect cells. It's then put in a, a viral medium, which is sent to the lab for testing. Now, Geisinger was lucky enough to develop its own special testing, its own testing. It was one of the first and one of the first two in the state that were allowed to do it uh, by the FDA and the CDC. So to meet testing criteria, however, and this is the important part because everybody wants to get tested to see if they have it. You have to meet specific CDC criteria to be tested in and of itself. 
Um, and lastly, to answer your other question, was why does it take so long? It depends upon the severity of the illness. We want our tests to come back quicker on the people that are the sickest. So for people that are admitted to the hospital in the intensive care unit on ventilators, we really need to know the answer to their to their test in a in a typical or sorry in a very timely fashion. For someone who's who has simple symptoms such as just cold symptoms, who's young and healthy, those tests we don't do right now in house. We are sending those out to an outpatient laboratory, and those outpatient laboratory has uh, will process those tests. And those tests now, where they used to be coming back in seven to eight days, or sometimes longer, they're now coming back within seventy two hours for the most part. Larry calling from Wilkesbury. Larry, not everybody has severe symptoms apparently, but when do if you think you have the virus, when do you make a decision to actually go to the hospital? Terrific question, and and that is something that we try to stress to folks all the time. Uh, people know their bodies, and really the most important thing is if you have mild symptoms in your mind, then please, by all means, use the Geisinger hotline number, which we can certainly provide, um, or the Geisinger website, which has it on there, and contact our hotline, and they can direct you based upon what you describe to them where or when you should do. So for mild symptoms, mild to moderate symptoms, we always recommend you call either the hotline or your family doctor first. There are outpatient testing centers that if you do meet criteria, that the hotline can set you up with an appointment to get tested. Now, when do you come to the emergency department? Severe shortness of breath, you can't breathe. Those, that is really the big one right there. We have lots of questions about underlying conditions. If you would address COPD, is high blood pressure a problem? Um, yes, uh, absolutely. All of those chronic medical conditions that put your body at risk uh, certainly are, are much more uh, high risk when they, if when and if they do develop COVID cases. This is what, where we're seeing the most severe cases really limited to those people over the age of 60 with those existing chronic health conditions. How many days between exposure to the virus and the onset of symptoms? We keep hearing different numbers from three to 14 days. Do, you, do medical professionals even know? And what is being done in Pennsylvania to increase the rate of testing? So the, you're, you're spot on uh, with, with your numbers. Three to 14 days um, is what we really, or what we really look for, uh, which means you can develop symptoms during any of that point in time. Um, Pennsylvania is doing everything that they can, including Geisinger, to ramp up their testing. But as, as most people have, have seen on the news, that there is a national shortage of swabs and reagents. Now, Geisinger has been lucky enough to have um, a tremendous backlog, or not backlog, but tremendous um, amount of supplies in reserve for cases just like this. So we're doing pretty well at Geisinger in managing all of that. The thing that people need to know, though, however, is that a negative test does not necessarily mean you can't or don't have the disease. You can be asymptomatic, have a negative test, or even with mild symptoms and have a negative test, but a test, you can, may still have disease that may turn positive five days from now. So until you're past 14 days out, really anything is possible in the development of, the, of this disease. And isn't the first line of defense for anybody who's worried about this disease, their family physician, the doctor who knows them the best? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the first step with everything, really. Uh, especially now, even for not even concerning COVID, but even concerning uh, a medical condition that isn't considered a significant life-threatening emergency. We also encourage, again, like we spoke before, about the use of the, uh, the Geisinger hotline number, uh, which can be found on the website. 
those are the those are the first two places that people should really turn to. And if if you need that number, I could give it out. If you have it, um, you guys can give it out if you like. But those are the first two spots that folks should go to. The hotline number five seven zero two eight four three six five seven. If if the governor is telling everybody to stay at home, how dangerous is it to go to the grocery store? So that's a, that's a great question, and this all goes back to the social distancing social distancing part. Um, if you go out, you always have potential of coming in contact with anything. You can come, you can catch this virus by breathing the air of someone you just walked by within six feet. You can catch this virus by coming in contact with the shopping cart that someone just touched. So you know the encouragement of using um, takeout services or the encouragement of delivery services is important as well. Uh, we don't want to tell people, we don't want to cause false, a false sense of alarm, but we want people to be very conscientious about what they're doing in regards to trying to contain this as a community. Going one step further, what about the groceries once you get them home? Do the groceries then need to be wiped down before you put them on the shelf and use, use them later? So the national recommendations are yes, that that's what you should do. If you have, uh, if you have canisters or containers or bottles or cans that they right. be wiped down and cleaned, if you have fruits or vegetables, that they be washed. Um, and similarly, making sure that you're washing your own hands frequently through the day, as well as cleansing your own your own homes, uh, countertops, um, you know, door handles, things like that. Someone wants to know if you could kind of give them uh, an idea as a medical professional when things will ease, when we might be over the worst of this. Yeah, so that's that's a great one. There are a bunch of predictive models out there, right? And and I cannot stand there and tell you that I can tell you when it's going to be over. Um, you know, it, it, this has evolved and changed globally. Uh, China was different than Singapore. Um, Singapore was different than Italy and Spain. Germany, who has the lowest death rate in the world, um, is entirely different than uh, the United States. We don't know yet what the, how the United States is going to play out. We do know now that the United States has the most in the world, most confirmed cases in the world. Our death rate at thus far is not the highest death rate in the world. But I don't know that anyone can give you that answer. Um, you know, you can look at 17 different websites and get 17 different predictive models and saying when it's going to peak and when it's going to be over. But I, the long and short of it is I don't think anyone really knows. Are we sufficiently stocked with ventilators? We keep hearing about ventilators, ventilators, ventilators. What's the situation in the Geisinger system? So we are sufficiently stocked that right now in the Geisinger system to manage um, an, an influx of patients. Uh, and, but we don't know what the future holds. But the good news is, as we talked earlier, is that we have multiple mitigation plans in place to be able to resolve any issues that should we, should we run into a supply and demand issue, uh, that we can address it appropriately and deal with it. Janice in Wilkes-Barre, what's your question? My husband and I are in our 80s, and I have a son that's single, and I clean his house like that. Am I still allowed to go in the house because he goes to work? Um, if your son is asymptomatic, and if you and and uh, and your husband are asymptomatic, there should should be no reason why you can't do that to help him out. Again, provided that you maintain social distancing and that you, all surfaces are clean and that you keep yourself healthy and clean in that regard. Has has everybody in the Geisinger system been tested and, and does everybody get masks? I mean, how does that work in a healthcare system? 
So the, to answer your first question is no, not everyone's tested. We, we go by strict CDC testing criteria about who gets tested. So you have to be symptomatic with signs or symptoms of the virus, such as fever, uh, upper respiratory infections, cough, shortness of breath, things like that. We definitely have enough equipment. There's no doubt about that. And we are working like... Uh, um, with the CDC that if we do run low on equipment that we have mitigating procedures that we can implement and utilize to help maintain the integrity of the, of the equipment that we do have. In regards to the use of a simple mask, again going back, simple masks are really, for a healthy person, a simple mask really doesn't prevent getting the infection. It's more so if you have the infection, so we try to put masks on patients that are symptomatic so that infection doesn't get spread. An N95 mask is a special mask with polymers in it that filters out what the what the healthcare provider inhales, not what they exhale, but what they inhale. The simple mask prevents the prevents those particles on exhalation from the person that's infected. So those are the differences between the masks. All right, Laureen in Old Forge, what's your question for Dr. Stroni? Uh, my question is, um, when doing testing, at what point do you decide that they need to be uh, tested? and then treated because I'm hearing a lot of conflicting reports on medications and uh, treatment. And is there other treatments like inhalers or oxygen, what they could do at home? Yeah, Clear sure, that up, absolutely. Again, testing is, is done by strict CDC criteria. I want to emphasize this very clearly. There is no proven treatment for the coronavirus that has been scientifically and medically proven. There are some medications out there that are thought to be maybe potentially useful, but they have never been clinically proven. So that's point number one. Point number two is that if you only have mild symptoms, there, there is no treatment. There's nothing to do. You, you treat just like the common cold. Lots of liquids, rest, Tylenol as you need for fever. And remembering that the symptoms can last up to 14 days. Doc, we talked in the very beginning about the governor now extending the stay-at-home order to the entire state. Do you have any personal thoughts about people coming across the border, New Jersey, New York, what that might be as an impact on keeping Pennsylvania safe? So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into the political part of it. Right. But what I will tell you is just the medical part of it and the science the science says that social distancing and making sure that we are we are containing the virus is the only thing that's been proven to try to be to be effective in lowering its contagious spread. And from what you see on a daily basis now in the ER, you're you're on the front lines. Are the measures that the governor and other people have taken so far seem to be working at least to a certain extent? So I think it's too early for us to tell, especially locally. We, we are only on the initial up curve, I believe. Uh, what happens after today, no one really can predict, despite all the models that are out there. It's really more of a, I don't want to say a wait-and-see approach, but it's, it's an active social distancing approach, making sure that you're staying away from emergency departments if you don't need them, calling your family doctor or the hotline first. And it's with those things that it's really going to make the biggest difference those are the only things that have been proven thus far. The whole concept of HIPAA has come up lately. If you have someone in a factory or a warehouse or something that, that tests positive, uh, a lot of workers feel like the entire place should be alerted that there's a positive test. And, and, and then there's questions about does that violate HIPAA? Isn't it necessary for everyone to know that there has been someone positive in their place of business so that they can take proper precautions? 
So there, the, the HIPAA precautions are, are there for, for patients uh, to maintain the integrity of their own personal health information. What a patient does with their own health information and to tell their employer or their friends or their coworkers whether they're positive or negative is up to them. As of right now, there has only been, or there really hasn't been relaxation of those HIPAA laws from the government, save for a few circumstances such as notifying EMS crews if they've been in direct contact with, uh, with the patient. But we don't specifically give out the patient's information or status, just that there has been a contact or not. If there's one simple thing that you can tell people to do that could help you on the front lines, would it be the social distancing and just obeying the government's orders to stay at home unless it's absolutely necessary? Is that our best defense at this point? It is. It, it absolutely is. It's it's really our only defense. And I would also add, just to, to say to folks, uh, thank you to the community for adhering, for those who have, who, who are adhering to these guidelines. But also remember, don't panic. Uh, it's, it's, it is here. It is present. But we can manage this if we do it the right way and we do it together as a community. Thanks again to Dr. Ron Stroney of the Geisinger Health System for joining us and for Intercom's Frank Andrews and Mark Davis for introducing Introducing us to him. Now don't go away. When we come back, we're going to meet Amy Everett with the Women's Resource Center in Scranton and Dr. Jim Gilkey. He's going to tell us how to survive working from home. Don't go away. Welcome back to Special Edition. Amy Everett is with the Women's Resource Center in Scranton. They help women and children in Lackawanna and Susquehanna counties to be free of violence and fear. That's because sometimes the situations that they're in are not the best, and sometimes they need help getting out of them. That's what Amy is here to talk to Intercom's Rocky and Lissa about today. During this quarantine time, for many of us, it may just be annoying, but for some, it can actually be dangerous. Amy Everett's from the Women's Resource Center, where they, of course, provide life-saving services for victims of abuse. Because the first place my mind goes in a quarantine situation is to people who don't have a peaceful, good home life. And domestic violence is obviously going to increase. Now, Amy, what are you noticing at the center? Well, right now, you know, we're, we are seeing, um, unfortunately, a decrease in hotline calls. And, you know, my executive director and I were speaking Probably about two weeks ago, and she's been there over, uh, Peg Roddy, she's been there over 36 years, and she said to me, you know, Amy, in my three decades, I've never heard the hotlines this dead. And, you know, that to me and to her and to our staff is a is a pretty big warning sign. You know, unfortunately, um, abuse is all about power and control. Right. And it's hard. It's hard to get an opportunity to get away um, to get help when you are literally on top of each other in the same house. Now, when you say hotline, a lot of people don't even know what that is. That is the 800 number that you can call for help. Yeah, we actually, we have a, a toll-free hotline, um, which is 1-800-257-5765. And also, too, we have a, a website. So the good thing about our website is if you go on, it's wrcnepa.org, you can press an escape button. So say your batter is coming up behind you and you have to, you know, quick close everything. You press that escape button, your history disappears, everything disappears. So it's a really That's great. great tool. Yeah. And Amy, uh, I did my best to find something in my closet 
with teal on it because I know today is your big teal out to raise awareness. Yeah, well, I, I'm I basically so had glad. Like, Thank you. I saw your pictures. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, you guys look great. I, I tried. I did my best. I think you look fantastic. Yeah, I mean, teal is teal is our color. Um, you know, it's our goal. Uh, this month actually is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and um, what that is is, you know, we're asking organizations, people, you know, individuals, everybody, to help us raise public awareness about this uncomfortable topic of sexual harassment, assault. We need to educate our communities on how to prevent it. There's a lot going in the world right now and a lot unknown, but, you know, we want people to know they, there is a place for help. We, yes. You know, the Women's Resource Center and other domestic violence and sexual assault, you know, agencies in the area, we can, you know, we can help you. We are your safe place. And real quick, I know you had to cancel all of your events because obviously people can't be together, so fundraisers and stuff are out. I mean, people can just mail donations, obviously, to the center, right, to P.O. Box 975 in Scranton? Yeah, and actually they can visit our website and you can donate through PayPal right there as Great. well. And you know what, too, not a lot of people realize is we have a wish list on there. Um, you know, obviously m money is what we need, um, but the wish list is great because we take for granted so many, you know, little things, but a lot of our program participants are coming in and they might have a garbage bag and that's their sure. life at that moment. So um, anything anybody can do, we're always really grateful for. We cannot do this without the community support and people like you. And we're in Teal helping these conversations and, and giving us a platform to talk about what we need to. So yes. thank you. Anytime. It's our true pleasure to help. And we'll be in touch again, I'm sure, Amy. Thank you so much. Thanks, Amy. All right. Thanks. Bye. Amy Everett's from the Women's Resource Center in Scranton. And don't forget, if you need help, you can always call in Lackawanna County, 570-346-4671 or in Susquehanna County, 1-800-257-5765. And if you log on to their website, wrcnepa.org, you can always get more information as well as how to donate on their website. And if you shouldn't be there when someone is coming, there is an emergency escape. Joining us next today on Special Edition, Intercom's Doc and Jesse. They're going to introduce us to Dr. Jim, and he's going to give us some good tips about working at home. Maybe you've been doing it for how many weeks now? Many of us have been finding out it's not all it's cracked up to be. Week number three starting with so many people working at home. Jesse, you crazy about working at home yet? You're enjoying uh, it? No, uh, it's making me a little crazy. Yeah, it's happening to a lot of people who want to get out and get back to work from the business, from where they are. I see in their old work pals and stuff like that, but it's, it looks like it's not going to happen anytime soon. So we have Dr. Jim Gilkey, who's on with us. And doctor, the new norm is now working from home. Yeah, very different situation. As both of you are saying, you know, having kids, having animals, the home environment is much different. A couple of things to consider, I think. The first one is process. Choose a dedicated workspace and set it up the way you would have it at your normal office. Don't sit on the couch. Don't sit in the comfy chair. Set up an office space and get it organized the same way or as close to the same way as you would your normal office. I saw something on the news the other day and they were talking in like, for example, New York City where everybody has a small one-bedroom apartment that people were setting up desks in their bedroom and they were like, that is a horrible idea associating your bedroom and sleep with your office. With stress. Yeah, you hit it on the head. That's exactly right. Then you got to look at some things that are really kind of psychology-based. Get 
started early. It's easy to stay in bed when you're at home. Get up and get a shower and get ready for your day just like you would. Again, trying to parallel your normal work schedule. And doctor, I keep hearing that schedule is so important for our children, but I'm assuming for us adults, it's just as important, right? Schedule is really important, Jesse. As a matter of fact, pretend like you're going into the office. Set your alarm, get up, shower. Don't stay in your pajamas. Uh-oh. Put on clothes. Uh-oh. Oh, Jesse, did you hear yeah. that? Do not say <laughs> Today I have a Zoom yeah. call, so I'm in normal clothes today. <laughs> and again, these are things, I did the same thing, but when you're looking at productivity, if you can get up, get dressed, and then structure your day as though you're going to the office. So you have calls structured, you know, when you're working on project work, whatever that is, what you're trying to do is psychologically duplicate a day in your normal office. Do you work like a full day? Like I know normally you're, you know, working, you're an eight hour day and you take a lunch break. Should you follow that same routine? Yes, I do my normal eight hour day, but I also know what distractions I have. And the thing about the distractions is try to schedule those in. So if you take a regular break, which I do, then I'll take the dog for a walk. If in fact my lunch hour is coming up and I need to help kids with homework, so the distractions are there. You need to know what they are, first of all, and then schedule those in as well and uh, you know as much as you can do that and doctor i was reading an article about how when this is all done we actually may like our co-workers and our employer more because the lines are being blurred between personal life and professional life do you see any other benefits coming out of this absolutely and jesse that's a great point in most cases people see they can be productive at home and they may spend more time than they did previously but i see for the most part people coming back into the office because of the social connection and the collaboration that takes place in the workspace. We talk about the people that are working at home. We also need to consider people that are trying to manage those people. Set your expectations. When will you be available? How long will it take you to get back? But one of the things I'm finding incredibly important is to make it personal. So I use video so I can see them and they can see me. But probably 30 to 40% of what we talk about now is personal. We don't just stay strictly business focused. And I think that helps from a communal standpoint as well. And I know some businesses probably right now, you know, you're working from home and you're doing your job, you're fine. So the boss is not reaching out every day. Is it a good idea for the boss to touch base at least one or two times during the day? Great point. We have a system by which we create a cadence of communication. So we have weekly one-on-ones. We also have a weekly team meeting. And then there's daily check-ins. For instance, the designers check-in on projects with the project managers. And knowing that you're connecting on a regular basis, Doc, is absolutely critical. Well, Dr. Jim, we are certainly living in the new normal. Thank you so much for giving us some time. This Hey, I appreciate it, Doc and Jesse. Stay safe. There's more special edition to come. And up next, fishing. It's the season. Don't go away. Welcome back to Special Edition. In case you didn't know it, it's trout season. Earlier this week, Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission announced the season is on. Intercom's Jason Barsky caught up with Mike Parker and tells us how it happened. Surprise! It's trout season. And uh, here to discuss is uh, the communications director, 
Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission Communications Director, Mike Parker. All right, so, so um, we've had you on before, and I think, I forget if the last time we came on, we were talking about delaying trout season, or maybe we just shared some emails on that, but so this is happening. Trout season's already open. The decision was made uh, by executive order um, in consultation with the governor's office, the Department of Health, as well as the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, which is... Uh, you know, which operates the state parks where lots of people go fishing. Uh, the Fish and Boat Commission uh, decided to open the trout season immediately. Uh, sizes, creel limits uh, apply. We've just we've we've done away with the traditional opening date. Have you received pushback? Because uh, it was split when I mentioned it. I mentioned it. Uh, some people are like, you know, if they if they keep making decisions like this and people are getting out, they're going to get sick and. Uh, follow social distancing guidelines, don't get into groups. Uh, that's obviously something you're pushing. But have you received any pushback from people who are not happy with the decision? Well, I mean, it wasn't an easy decision. It wasn't made, uh, it just wasn't made in a vacuum and someone decided this was a good idea and everybody else followed. We, we consulted, uh, you know, everyone. And uh, look, we, we were on, uh, we've been on the line you know, with, with folks here for weeks now, you know, how, yeah. how is this going to affect trout season? And we knew very early on, and we just need people to understand that, you know, look, this is, uh, we're operating under a different set of rules in every facet of our lives this year. There's, you know, and, and we can't just go to the grocery store and, and follow all these, you know, social distancing rules and wear masks and avoid people six feet. And then all of a sudden opening day of trout season gets here and the rules go out the window. You know, we have to, every, uh, we're fortunate that under the governor's stay at home order, we're still allowed to get outside and, and are encouraged to, uh, you know, get outside and get some fresh air and recreate. And for a lot of people, um, you know, that can be done close to home. For other people, it might mean traveling to a, a state park or a, a nearby stream. And so, you know, we were, the, the, the caveat to all that is, and that a lot of people, you know, forget, is that all of these activities are only permitted when we practice social distancing. So it's not business as usual. And so this decision was, was not uh, a, a usual decision. But the, the reasoning for it is because when we have a count that circled on the date, like April 18th was for the opening day of statewide trout season, that becomes a date that, that people start to plan around. And they start to look at that date as something that they, you know, I'm going I'm to gather a, a group of my friends and we're going to head out and we're going to go to the same place we We've been going for the last 20 years and we're, you know, opening day of trout season is almost like a, for some people it's heading to camp, for other people it's, you know, camping out along the side of a stream somewhere the night before. All of those things do not fall in line with the social distancing guidelines. So we needed to come up with a solution. It is not going to please everyone and and we do appreciate everyone's understanding in this, uh, you know, uncertain time here. We have to make some, some, uh, you know, strange decisions in many people's eyes. But according to, you know, our friends uh, that we consulted with at the Department of Health, it's best that now we're giving people the opportunity, okay, we may have caught a few people off guard. They, they, they weren't prepared necessarily to head out uh, and go fishing today, but they can. The season is open. The trout have been stocked. They're in the water. Uh, they're, they're, we have many more trout in the water this year due to an accelerated stocking schedule than would typically be in the water uh, prior to opening day. So there are lots of trout to catch. Uh, you just have to make sure that when you're heading out there, 
you know, we're not, we're not congregating in big groups. You got to eat what yeah. we like to say. And it's, it's real fishing kind of makes it easy because if you have a fishing rod, typically when you put your arm out to your side, it's about six feet. So if me and you are standing alongside of the lake, Jason, and I hold my arm out with the fishing rod and I'm not, you know, touching you, then that's a pretty good distance to keep while we're fishing. So, so basically, let me just see if I understand this. The, the reason to kind of surprise everybody is so people are not gathering in groups. It's something where people go, oh, it's like you took away that well, big, you, you know, stole that big moment from we, people for safety. We do. We know that we can't tell, we can't control what people do and what, what decisions people make. We're only asking that they make smart decisions. And, and I'm looking at it, at it this way. Um, if my plans, when I'm, a lot of people will say, well, you know, and, and believe me, I've taken hundreds of calls over the past couple of weeks from, from everyone. And I deal with the media, but I also deal with members of the public and I take their calls. And a lot of people have been telling me, you know, you know, just simply asking, hey, am I allowed to go fishing? And the answer to that is yes, if you follow social distancing. If you look at your trip and you say, what's my typical opening day look like? And what does my fishing trip look like in general? And if your trip involves just yourself and maybe your child or children or your wife uh, or someone who lives under the same roof as you, then if you head out and head to a local stream or lake, then you can go fishing because you can practice these social distancing guidelines as a group together. You're not, but, but when you start saying, well, I'm going to pick up a friend on the way. Well, now you're, yeah. now you're sharing space inside a car with someone. That's, that, there's a red flag to me. So maybe get around that. Figure yeah. out, can, I, can we meet there? If we can meet at the location and go fishing, I can still go fishing with my buddy. We can, we can wear a mask. We can, we can stand six feet away from each other. Most people going fishing don't want to be right next to someone else. It's part of the, it's part of the deal. The other, you know, so we're, we're discouraging people from, from congregating. Groups. And we know that there's just a lot of planning that goes around big group gatherings. And especially for our friends at the state parks who, you know, uh, we, we wanted to try to, look, people will now know that the season's open. They can go fishing when they have some time, when they want to. If you get somewhere and it's, you will be asked, you, I mean, there's going to be direction from yeah. whether it's a fish and boat officer, whether it's a state park ranger, whether it's a state trooper, you will be asked if you're gathered in groups to spread out. Mm-hmm. It's just it's it's the smart thing to do. Just just remember fishing. We're fortunate to be able to go fishing. We just have to follow the rules just like we would anywhere else. Um, part of my ignorance, and I asked this question on the air, and nobody texted in to give me the answer, but you don't fish for trout in boats, correct? Well, you can. I mean, certainly. Okay. So okay. so that's, and you know, but I mean, it's typically like a, you know, you'll see folks out on a lake, uh, you know, on opening day in a small john boat or a canoe. Um, you know, absolutely. So those, those things go the same way. If you're, if your plan is to just to go out by yourself on the boat and, uh, you know, fish in the middle of the lake, you know, have at it. That's, that's social distancing. You can follow the guidelines pretty easily. Questions come into, into my mind when I say, well, if I'm, if, if me and my friend are going to meet at the lake and he's going to hop in my boat, that's That's pretty unrealistic to, to expect that you're going to, you know, be able to keep that that recommended distance. I have a question for you. In the past, you've given out, like, I think a number or an email for people to reach out to you. We have someone on, the, on hold who wanted to tell you they disagree with this. Would you rather them just reach out to you? We can take the call. It's up to you. I don't want to put you in a weird position. Uh, we also have a fish. I'm on willing to take any. I'll, I'll, I'll take, Jason, I'm, I'm, I'm here right now. I'll, uh, I'm happy to take any 
you know, engage in civil conversation. And uh, uh, John in Hazelden, you're on with uh, Mike Parker from the uh, PA Fish and Boat Commission. Hi, Mike. Uh, I, I really agree with your uh, uh, total distancing. It's definitely the right thing to do. But the only thing is, could you guys just, like, put it off until next week? I mean, you've got your youth mentored program coming up on Saturday. You've got children five and six and seven years old that have been going out with their fathers and grandfathers. And now it's going to be like a, a, a cluster because, you know, these kids could have had a chance to catch some of these trout before the, the adults go out there. It's, it's a good question, and, I, and I, I hope I have a good answer for you because, see, most of these questions are, if, if we just sort of look at a scenario and ask ourselves what, what was realistic this year. And, you know, we know just, just with the basic understanding that we are operating under a new set of rules in every every facet of our life, fishing included. So the scenario that you laid out there, well, you know, uh, I took, I've taken calls from, from folks uh, this week, a grandfather, hey, am I allowed to go fishing? Because I, you know, and then I love to take, love to take my granddaughter fishing on Mentored Youth Day. Right. The question comes into mind, um, do you live with your granddaughter? Oh no, she lives, you know, she lives across town or she lives, you know, I got to, well then, that's right right there is already making that scenario um, almost impossible. The mentoring a child, what does mentoring a child really mean? If it means attending so you can watch the child from six feet away, then that that's not really mentoring uh, a youth while they're fishing. Mentoring a youth, we know we can plan to go out there and we can you know we can fish with the grandchild. But what happens when the hook gets? gets stuck when the fish comes off when she doesn't want to when she's having a little trouble are you gonna you can't just stand six feet away now now you're on top of the child you know to uh to assist right. with the with the fishing um these are things that happen and it's why i ask people when they when they plan their fishing trip you have to look beyond just to say well are we able to go fishing you have to ask yourself am i traveling you know a couple of hours to head up to my camp am i going to be it sounds good to say that i can stay you know go just you know head up to my my cabin or head out to the lake and stand six feet away and fish with someone. But are you going to have to stop for gas? Are you going to have to use a public restroom facility? If I'm fishing at a state park, the state parks are open and allow fishing, but the bathrooms aren't, may not be open. In most cases, they're not. So in a lot of cases, are, are you going to want to have to go do your business in the woods? Is, is a child going to be able to do that? Is an elderly person going to be able to do that realistically? So the same with the, with the Mentored Youth Program, we, we did account. It's, it's a great program. I've been taking my children out, and I, I love it. It's been, uh, I have a 9- and an 11-year-old. Uh, we're not going to be able to have it this year. Um, it is a free program for those who get a free Mentored Youth Permit. However, you can also buy a voluntary youth fishing license for $2.90, which also gives you the ability to go out and enjoy right. the Mentored Youth Trout donate. Day. Right. Sure. And, and so what we're doing, and I just, just, so, just so you know, and I'll wrap this up in a second here. If you purchased one of those voluntary youth licenses, we will honor that next season. So just hold on to it, and we'll honor it again. And we hope we are, that we better times are ahead and things get back to normal. It is crazy times right now. Yeah. But I, 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 do, I do believe what's going to go on today, tomorrow, and the next day would have still went on if it was pushed back a week. 
Well, you know, I mean, that's, well, that, that's just my yeah, opinion, and, you know. And Jason, I, I don't know how much time you have. I, I could, I can address that too. And, and it's what did you? How did you want to address that last point? Well, t- t- we were in in consultation with the Department of Health. We are looking at so. How, how are we going to still have a trout season? A lot of people bought their licenses. It is an activity. Fishing can be performed in a safe fashion when people follow the rules. So we're really counting on people to do that. But with just putting things off anymore around a date and continuing to kick the can down the road around a date that we don't know is ever going to arrive, all the scenarios that we had before us, which was everything from keeping the dates as standing to canceling trout season altogether to doing what we did which was a soft opening of the trout season. Uh, the best course of action as determined by people well above my pay grade, but I was in, uh, you know, heard, heard the folks, heard the, the doctors uh, speak about what the best case scenario was, was to try to reduce that opening day rush yeah. to there will be people who are now not, no longer planning around a large group gathering on the opening day of trout season. However, we're still providing the season, and we we know that it's going to be different this year, but we, we hope that the anglers and boaters will just uh, do the right thing, and uh, we appreciate their understanding. When you took this job, Mike, I know it was kind of like a dream job for you as being an outdoorsman. Did you ever think, you know what, I hope one day my dream comes true and I can shock the world and drop trout season on them no. unexpected them never this is such a weird time. It's such a weird time. <laughs> not at, you're right you're right right not not at all we, we love our traditions and and unfortunately this is one that's going to you know a lot of traditions are going by the wayside and i wish i wish that the rules were different for fishing but fishing is just another activity that just like everything else that we do that uh, has changed as a result of this. Appreciate you taking the time. It's, it's wildly, it's interesting to me. And uh, to quote this person, says, I'm a big boy. I can maintain social distancing while fishing all by myself. I like the seasoning opening early. So um, a lot of people are asking, Just I'd say the majority of people are, are on board with this. Did you want to give out a contact uh, number or uh, an email address for anybody who wants to well, reach what out? Well, what I want to do is a, uh, a little overwhelmed at the moment, but okay. I can give everyone, if you, to ver- a lot of people are just questioning, is this in the day of internet hoaxes and everything else, if this is real? I want to confirm, number one, yes, it is real. You can find the official announcement by either going to the Fish and Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission uh, website, which is fishandboat.com. Or stay on our, uh, you know, check out our social media, like our Facebook page, and, and you'll find the official announcements there. Mike Parker from the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission. Trout season's open. Go, go do it, but do it safely. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. A production of Intercom Communications. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.